Welcome to the Wealth Experience podcast series where our subject matter experts provide the latest updates on what's happening in the world around us. Brought to you by BMO Private Wealth. Hello, everyone. I'm Caroline Debu, and I'm head of Wealth Advisory Services at BMO Private Wealth. I lead a team of professionals and experts that provide wealth planning, estate tax, philanthropic insurance, and other specialized advisory services for BMO Private Wealth clients. Today, I am joined on this podcast by Sal Guattieri, John Waters, and Lydia Potoknik. Sal is a senior economist and director with BMO Capital Markets. John is Vice President, Director of Tax Consulting Services at BMO Private Wealth, and Lydia is Head of Estate Planning and Philanthropic Advisory Services at BMO Private Wealth. Thank you to all of you for doing this podcast and to share your perspectives on Canadian real estate, a topic that is at the top of everyone's mind every day, it seems. As most Canadians, home ownership is one of the most significant and important assets we'll work towards. Our homes provide security and comfort for our families, a place that can represent stability and where we see our families grow. It's also a place to store and grow accumulated wealth, especially as your mortgage gets paid down and as home prices have historically been steadily rising over time. But the paradigm has now changed. And so I want to start with you, Sal. Can you provide us with uh, context about what has happened recently in the Canadian economy overall? Well, Caroline, uh, the Canadian economy is weakening. Uh, it had a nice run following the Omicron wave and the, the easing of restrictions. Uh, we came flying out of that slump uh, qu- quite strongly through the winter and then first half of this year. But all the, the recent signs suggest the economy is, is downshifting pr- quite dramatically. And it's those familiar headwinds, uh, the high inflation that's squeezing household budgets, rapidly rising interest rates, and a global economy that's, uh, that's weakening as well. And in fact, parts of Europe are in recession right now. Unfortunately, we do expect things to get a little worse uh, before they get better. We, we do expect the economy to basically stall at the end of the year and contract uh, modestly uh, early next year before uh, resuming growth. Uh, the big problem here is high inflation. Uh, those rising food costs and still high uh, gasoline prices, supply chain disruptions are ongoing, rising rents and, and rising wages, all adding some uh, persistence to inflation. And unfortunately, even though it does look like inflation is peaking, it's going to be a pretty slow decline over the next uh, year or so. And, and as a consequence, we already have the Bank of Canada raising policy rates by 300 basis points just since March. So the most aggressive tightening cycle since the 1990s. And we do expect uh, about another 100 basis points of, of rate increases by the end of this year. So the bank likely to take its policy rate up to four and a quarter percent. So that's more than double the peak of the last uh, tightening cycle. Not a great backdrop at the moment that the higher inflation and, and rising interest rates are making it pretty difficult for the average family to afford a home in Canada, especially after the uh, blistering rise in home prices the past couple of years. Thanks, Alice. It happens so quickly. Uh, all of these, uh, all of these factors, and we're seeing just the convergence of all these factors pointing to a, a much more challenging uh, time ahead. Can we talk specifically about how rising inflation and higher interest rates impacted a family's ability to participate in the Canadian housing market? Yeah, I mean, starting with the higher inflation, that I don't think is the main problem. Even though it's reducing spending power 
most Canadian households, a lot of the increase in inflation is at least being partly offset by fast rising wages. And that, unfortunately, is what's adding some stubbornness to inflation. But it's also helping families kind of make ends meet. The big problem is, is the rise in mortgage rates. Uh, we are coming off record lows uh, at the start of this year. Mortgage rates have, have essentially more than doubled now since then. Uh, and that's posing quite a challenge for, uh, for many Canadians who are thinking of getting into the housing market. Because remember, it's not just the higher mortgage rates. Uh, it's the fact that prices rose so dramatically through the pandemic by more than 50 percent. There was a record increase over those two years. And that really uh, has led to the worst affordability in the housing market in a generation. Uh, now, a lot of that is, 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 uh, is in Ontario and British Columbia. Um, most other parts of Canada are still pretty, pretty healthy in terms of affordability, especially much of the, the prairie provinces. Atlantic Canada and parts of Quebec, but you know Ontario and, and British Columbia, uh, especially some of the smaller cities and rural regions where teleworkers were moving to, uh, driving up prices. Affordability is is pretty bad, and as a result, we've already seen house prices fall now by by nine percent since their uh, peak of earlier this year. Um, in fact, in some regions, uh, you're looking at close to 20% decline already in, in prices. Uh, home sales are now well below their normal. Uh, levels. Uh, now, the one thing kind of preventing prices from falling further is that uh, sellers are kind of holding back. Um, they're not listing their properties like they normally would, and some are actually just turning to the rental market. Now, unfortunately, we do expect um, uh, house prices to fall further. We're, we're looking probably at another 10, 11% decline in house prices over uh, you know, by, by next summer or so. Uh, that'll take prices essentially back to where they were in early 2021. But that's what we really need to get to that better price point where more buyers can then come back to the market. At that time, by summer next year, we would expect the housing market to stabilize uh, and then resume an upward course. Wow, that's quite, that's such a drop. Um, if you, all those number, all, like the 20% drop in some markets for the price of Canadian homes and uh and it all seems to have happened faster than than anyone would have uh, ever ever predicted, even like even six months ago. Um, I just want to pivot because many of our own clients own not only their own homes, but they also own secondary properties uh, as investments that they use to earn earn rental income. So I just want to ask you how these properties are affected by the change in the in the economy and and, and housing market. And as people are are wondering, you know, do they still have a place in my in my portfolio of assets? Yeah, for investors in the housing market, those owning properties to rent out, basically the rental market has been a savings grace. Uh, yes. You know, the value of that property is, is, is um, uh, partly retraced its big run-up of the previous two years, but rents are, are rising pretty dramatically right across the country. In, in fact, in m- many areas, especially in Ontario, we're seeing uh, double-digit uh, rent increases from a year ago. Uh, so, you know, good news for um, for investors of those properties, obviously not great news for, for tenants. And it's really a reflection of, of how tight the rental market is, how low uh, apartment vacancy rates are uh, right now. Uh, and, you know, that's part, part of that is just stemming from the fact that the unemployment rate is still quite low. Most Canadians are working right now. Wages are going up, so many tenants can, uh, can afford to pay uh, some, some of that rent increase. 
Now, you know, that said, yes, the, the, the rapidly rising rents are really hurting younger families, uh, recent graduates, uh, and, and immigrants to Canada. Uh, but again, they are benefiting investors uh, who, who own those, uh, those properties. Um, I mean, they're, they're seeing a steady uh, increase in rents. That's you know, going some ways to allaying the increased cost of owning the property, especially the increased uh, borrowing costs. So, um, and, and that's probably why we're not seeing many investors uh, selling their, their properties. They're holding on to those properties because, you know, they're, they're renting them out. They're earning uh, an ever higher uh, increase uh, in, uh, in rent. So, you know, overall, long term, uh, again, we think the housing market is probably a good place uh, to to invest once we get to this better price point and once uh, house prices start to uh, to stabilize the so longer term you know the direction for Canada's housing market is probably still upwards it's just we're going to need to get to a better uh, affordability price point yeah and you, you brought up the impact this is having on the younger generation and um you know i mean uh, the, the people that are currently renting are facing not only rising inflation and day-to-day purchases but they're uh, facing increased rental costs, and and really it is affecting the younger generations who may just be starting their careers or, in fact, delaying their ability to to purchase their own homes. And so I do want to turn to Lydia because uh, with that backdrop, we're hearing so much more about, um, you know, from our clients too around how how they help support their children. And so what I want to ask, ask you, Lydia, is how can parents and grandparents do their part in, I guess, helping and supporting their younger adult family members. And I'm thinking about, you know, their adult children that are currently renting or or maybe they're ready to move out of the family home. Well, Caroline, you bring up a really interesting point. And against this challenging economic background, parents and grandparents still want to help their children get into the Canadian housing market. Um, in fact, families can help by sharing their resources and gifting assets to younger family members to help them get started. And, you know, there's a number of ways in which they can help the next generation. So, for example, writing a check or transferring cash directly to them is one way, or they can even transfer investment securities to a younger family member's investment account. They can also assist by purchasing real estate for them or even settling a trust fund with assets to benefit the younger family member. And finally, people can still leave assets to younger family members through a will. So there's a number of different ways in which uh, parents can help their children and grandparents can help grandchildren. And so what would you say is the most important consideration if you're weighing out, you know, among the options that that you've uh, laid out here? Well, financial planning continues to take a real priority with our clients. And I think it's very important that when a gift is made, a financial plan takes that into consideration to ensure that the parent or grandparent can actually afford to make the gift and that making the gift will not cause them future financial hardship. This is best done, as I said, through a financial plan because once a gift is made, it can't be taken back. And therefore, it's likely that those funds will not be available to the parent or grandparent in the future. So again, planning ahead before you make a decision to part with that money or that asset is critical. And that's where we can certainly help. So essentially, you're saying that parents and grandparents should make sure that they can uh, afford to help their adult kids so they don't cause themselves future financial hardships. I think that's great advice because you can really get fixated on helping out now and not realizing, um, you know, kind of the downstream impact it will have on your own personal situation down the road. 
I think this is a good segue uh, as we're talking about housing affordability. And and so, John, I'm going to pivot to you. The federal government, you know, in their budget, their 2022 budget, made some housing affordability. They made it a priority in the last budget. And so what opportunities are available for families as, as they're, you know, looking to potentially buy a home? Yeah, thanks, Caroline. Um, yeah, housing was certainly a significant theme of uh, the federal budget earlier this year. And there were a number of measures um, that, that are, are, sought, are seeking to uh, address the affordability issue, particularly with first-time home buyers. I would say that the most interesting uh, measure that was introduced is the tax-free first-time home savings account. So this was a, a new registered account that is expected to become available sometime in 2023. And essentially, it takes the best of both a, a, an RSP as well as a TFSA. So specifically, there would be a tax deduction for contributions into the account and a tax-free withdrawal when the, com- when the funds come out specifically for a qualified home purchase. And of course, the, the growth in the plan, similar to a TFSA, would all, also be tax-free. So contributions will be limited to $8,000 annually and a lifetime maximum of $40,000. Uh, but it's important to note that the owner of the account must be a first-time home buyer. So this would fit well with families trying to help, uh, say, the younger family members afford a first home. But one downside with this uh, new account is that it could not be combined with the existing RSP home buyers plan, which is essentially borrowing from your RSP and repaying that money back over 15 years. So you can't use both that uh, home buyers plan as well as this uh, new account. There were a number of other proposals in the budget as well. Uh, another interesting one um, was something called the residential property flipping rule. And uh, the, the goal of this, again, is to make homes more affordable. So specifically, uh, what is proposed in this draft legislation is that for real estate that is owned for less than 12 months, uh, that any profit on the sale of that real estate within that 12-month period would be treated as fully taxable income. And of course, this would be different than the, the existing treatment, typically as a capital gain, a 15, uh, sorry, a 50% FIBO income inclusion rate that would normally be associated with the sale of uh, real estate property. So this would effectively double the tax that would be paid on that appreciation uh, if that property is sold within that 12, first 12 months of ownership. And, uh, and it would also prevent the use of the uh, tax-free principal residence exemption. Now, there's certainly exemptions to this new proposed rule that uh, would, would exclude sales within 12 months from um, fr- from being uh, subject to this new rule of this uh, fully taxable income for certain life events, uh, such as uh, death, uh, birth of a child, uh, new job, or divorce. There's a few other uh, initiatives that were introduced in the federal budget to assist with home buying affordability, mostly around introducing some new federal tax credits, uh, as well as some increases in some existing tax credits uh, for home buyers or owners. The budget also proposed a temporary prohibition on foreigners uh, who purchase Canadian real estate. The final thing I want to mention with the budget, uh, there were some future changes to this uh, first-time home buyer incentive program. Uh, which was introduced a few years ago, and, and the uh, the hope is uh, these changes will make this uh, will increase the uptake of, of this program. So, uh, just in summary, uh, a number of proposals from the budget uh, with the goal of uh, increasing home affordability. Uh, I would say particularly for first-time home buyers. 
Now, John, the, uh, the tax-free uh, first home savings account sounds like a really interesting opportunity for, uh, for parents and grandparents also to help their adult children to purchase their first home. I'm going to put you on the spot here because, you know, $40,000 is a lifetime, uh, as a lifetime maximum contribution. And we've just heard from Sal that affordability is still an issue. And the fact that you can't combine this with the first, uh, with the RSP, um, uh, um, the uh, RSP home buyers plan. Um, do you, is there any sense in the upcoming budget if if this will be uh, something that could be reviewed? I imagine that there's a number of uh, people uh, commenting that it, that you know forty thousand dollar lifetime max is not nearly enough. I haven't heard any inkling about that, Caroline. Uh, I guess it's always possible. I, I know that that was some of the commentary uh, when this came out, and in certain markets, uh, forty thousand doesn't really go as far as others. Uh, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's still uh, a proposal draft legislation and it hasn't been introduced. So I guess there's always the possibility that uh, it, it could be increased in the same manner that, say, uh, you know, RSP contributions have been, have been increased over the years. Yeah, great. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. And I know that there'll be a lot more information about this new account as we, uh, as we head into 2023. Yeah. Hey, Lydia uh, talked about considerations around making gifts to younger family members to help them out. Uh, when it comes to making substantial gifts to help family members get into the property market, there obviously has to be tax and legal considerations for everyone involved. Um, so, John, we heard um, you just laid out all the things that the recent federal budget has, has uh, proposed to help. What about taxes? Like how much of, of an issue is, is this going to be now? Well, taxes are always near and dear to my heart, Caroline, but uh, certainly yeah. it's something that families should be uh, thinking about, particularly if they are making a gift to uh, an adult child or grandchild to assist them with a, a home purchase. And, you know, just as, as a background for Canadian uh, income tax purposes, if uh, there is a gift of property, be it uh, securities or a condo, a house, uh, that would result in a deemed disposition at fair market value. Uh, by the giver, by, you know, parent, grandparent, and any appreciation that has accrued since they purchased that uh, property uh, would be subject to tax. Now, typically that, uh, that gain, that appreciation would be treated as a capital gain, meaning that 50% uh, of that gain is added to their tax return as income, and of course, taxed at their marginal tax rate. The rates on capital gains could be as high as 27%, uh, depending on the, the level of income and marginal tax rates and, of course, uh, what province uh, the individual lives in. Now, I would say that notably Canadian cash does not result in a capital gain because there is you know, no appreciation. It, uh, it's, um, you know, that rule wouldn't really apply here. Uh, but, of course, if you had to sell something else, say an investment, to generate that cash, important to be mindful that that sale could result in a capital gain that um, would uh, entail a tax cost. Now, if, if one was to make uh, a gift specifically of, of real estate, um, I guess one consideration first and foremost is implications to the principal residence exemption, I guess, uh, both to, to the parent or grandparent making that gift and of course to the child going forward. But if the property was previously used as a rental property, it's important to, in addition to considering the possibility of a capital gain, that there could be a possible recapture uh, of the 
uh, depreciation for tax purposes that has been claimed on that property previously. And of course, that would be another additional tax cost uh, to take into account on a possible gift of this real estate to, uh, to a younger family member. Another issue to be uh, mindful of is that uh, it's generally advised to make a uh, full gift uh, of the property because if you were to sell the property and you did not charge what was considered the, the full fair market value of the property as, as consideration for that transfer, you could uh, have significant tax and negative tax implications. Um, specifically, if you sell the property to a younger family member for less than fair market value, that could create a double tax situation where both the parent and the child could be taxed on the same appreciation. So the message is to make either a full gift or if you are going to sell it to a family member to never sell to that family member for less than the full fair market value. Wow, thanks, John. Lots, uh, lots to take into account on, on the tax front, for sure. With changes in ownership that uh, result from making a gift, there's also uh, legal considerations. You just heard John outline all the, all the tax considerations. So, Lydia, I want to ask you to uh, tell us about the, the legal considerations around, uh, around uh, making gifts. Well, Caroline, one of the biggest legal considerations and concerns that family members have tends to be when gifting assets or property to an adult child that perhaps is uh, getting married or in a common law relationship. And often parents are concerned about what will happen to that asset if that uh, couple you know, decides to part ways. Uh, in Ontario, for example, the matrimonial home is considered a joint family asset for married couples. So regardless of the source of the matrimonial home or who financed it, both spouses can have an equal stake in its value. And this also applies even if the home is only registered in one of the spouse's names. So a lot of people may not be aware of, of this being perhaps a potential concern. So what this could result in is half of the value of the home being allocated to assumed to the ex-son or daughter-in-law. But what's also important to note is that family law legislation varies by province. So it's critical to understand the provincial rules in your own jurisdiction before gifting assets or purchasing property for an adult child. But I also want to highlight that this potential risk can be mitigated in a few ways. So, for example, addressing the value of the matrimonial home in a marriage agreement and how it will be divided um, should the marriage end is one way to mitigate the risk. And in the case of couples who are not married, but rather living together, a cohabitation agreement could be put in place to protect the family home because the Family Law Act in Ontario does not provide common law spouses with the same legal rights as it does for married couples when it comes to the family home. So these are really two distinctions I wanted to make, um, and it's very important for people to understand the legal ramifications of, of gifting uh, real estate or gifting assets to help a couple purchase uh, real estate, which will ultimately be used as of the family home. And, you know, there's another strategy that can help mitigate some of these risks, and that's actually at um, parents or grandparents taking back a mortgage for the value of the gifted property. And one nice thing about a mortgage is that it can provide the parent or grandparent with a stream of income to help offset the risk of outliving their assets. So the mortgage could also be forgiven at the time of passing away through the will of the giver without any tax consequences. So if someone decides uh, at the end of the day that they don't necessarily um, want to have that adult child pay back the mortgage at the time of death, they could actually forgive that um, mortgage in their will. So this brings me to another important element that individuals need to think about, and that's really about family dynamics and how do individuals feel when they know that perhaps 
a parent is giving a child um, an asset or, or cash to help them during their lifetime versus another child. And this really brings up the issue of what is equitable and fair. And when we help clients with their financial plans, this is one of the driving factors that many clients uh, place a lot of emphasis on. They really want to make sure that family dynamics are not going to be negatively impacted when gifting assets to one child over another. So treating them equally um, or equitably can help maintain family and sibling harmony. And a big risk uh, is that if a child feels that they are unfairly treated financially through the will, they will actually challenge the will. And this means essentially costly and time-consuming legal challenges to the estate, which will deplete the assets um, of the estate for other beneficiaries. So I can't emphasize enough that proper financial and estate planning, as well as communication, are really keys to maintaining family harmony at the end of the day. This is a really great perspective because what you're really underscoring is that importance of stepping back and, um, you know, taking an, a holistic approach and, and the importance of a longer term, um, you know, financial plan, financial plan and, and, you know, especially when we're, when we're in an environment like we're in today, so easy to get caught up and just do make some short term decisions without looking back at that, at that longer term financial plan. To build on that point around uh, the importance of a longer-term plan, um, I do want to uh, now uh, pivot to you, Sal, because I really want to end with your thoughts on on what's going to happen in the mid to longer term with the economy and, and housing affordability. Yeah, again, near term, uh, things are likely to get a, a little worse before they get better, uh, Caroline. Uh, we do expect the economy to turn down modestly uh, uh, early next year. But on the bright side, all recessions end, as do all uh, housing market corrections. Uh, again, we just need to get to that better price point. And we're already seeing affordability make some modest gains given uh, the recent decline in prices. Remember, the Bank Canada won't be raising policy rates forever. Once it sees uh, inflation on a steady downward course, uh, we think uh, it will move to the sidelines through next year and then uh, begin to cut interest rates uh, by 2024 uh, back to more neutral levels. So, you know, the housing market will rebound probably second half of next year or so once the economy turns up, uh, interest rates have stabilized and we're at that you know, better affordability point. And remember, uh, long term, uh, the housing market will be driven by um, uh, rising immigration to Canada. It's driving the fastest population growth among all G7 countries uh, right here in Canada. So bottom line, we think the long term outlook for the housing market remains quite positive. Great. Thanks so much. Well, we will, you know, keep our sights set on that longer term, uh, that longer term outlook. Thank you so much. Sal, John and Lydia, thank you for sharing your experiences and so many valuable insights into the economy and how home buying affordability has been impacted. With all of the changes in the Canadian real estate market, there's uh, so much to consider when trying to help younger families get off to a good start. And so I would encourage our listeners to contact your wealth professionals, accountants, and lawyers to uh, discuss these issues together and to figure out the best way to help your family members. And with that, thank you for joining us and enjoy your rest of the day. This podcast series has been brought to you by BMO Private Wealth. Please join us again.